Is that everybody? Better say amen again. Amen. All right, I heard something that second time. I didn't hear the first time. Thought y'all had forgot for a moment where you are. We are in the house of God. Unlike any other time when this building is sitting here, God is here today with us in spirit, and we can't leave him in here when we leave. He goes with us when we leave, and he meets us here when we come. So we need to understand that when we come through those doors on Sunday morning, we are coming into the presence of God to worship in spirit and in truth. And it's at this time that we take the opportunity to rid our minds of things that have nothing to do with worship. Things that have nothing to do with lifting God up in praise. We dismiss those things. Put those on hold until the service is over. And then we can pick those up again. For some, this may mean you need to silence or turn off your cell phone. Let folk know when you're in worship so that they don't disturb you. Some may need to just leave the phone in the car. Because wherever you take it, there is the temptation to get on it. What a travesty to sit in church and check out Facebook. What a slap in the face of God to assume that anything is more important than him at any time, but especially during this time. Oh, this is sacred time. And I tell you, I, I, I have a difficult time. This is just me. But when, they, when people say things to me that remind me of how good God has been to me, I can't sit through that without saying something. I don't know about you, but generally I think that when somebody says something that excites us or that touches a place in us, that we ought to be able to say, thank you, Jesus, or amen, or Praise God or say it again. And when we get so used to saying those things that we don't say them anymore, then maybe the gospel is not having the impact it once had on us. God forbid that that should be the case. I've come this morning to share with you what God has shared with me. Because I've learned in my solitude with God. I hope you know something about that. You know, all of us need to spend some quiet time with God. I know we've gotten busy. I know a lot is going on. But Jesus wants to be our friend. And we can't get close unless we spend some time with him. Oh, there's ways to get to know him, but some of those ways are not as personal and intimate as other ways. We're not really intimate with God when we simply read his word. Oh, that's a level of intimacy, but it's not the intimacy we're looking for. Amen. 
The true intimacy with our Father is spent in quiet time with Him. I just want you to, to, to think this one. How much quiet time have you spent with the Lord this week? Oh, I'm not talking about time where you were riding down the highway listening to 98.7. That ain't really quiet time. I'm not talking about time when you were trying to think about God while you were watching the news. That's not quiet time, folks. I'm talking about a period of time that is equivalent to what Jesus taught the disciples to do when they got ready to pray. He says, when you pray, go into your closet. Now, the, the suggestion there, the picture there, is that when we go into our closets, we close the world out. We go in a place where there is no chatter. There are no distractions. There is nobody knocking on the door of the closet. Who knocks on the door of a closet? <laughs> so when we go into our private desert space, where there is nothing to distract us, that's when we get the opportunity to see how it feels sitting in the presence of God. Somebody has described it as a feeling of nothingness. For when we are in the presence of God, there is no other time where we can truly experience how much of nothing we are. And it's at that time that we can tend to get silent and humble in the presence of God and listen to him. See, we used to talking to God, but we ain't used to listening to him. When we finish our prayers and we get through talking to God, we say amen and dismiss him. And wait for another time for him to respond when often God is talking to us even while we talking to him. If we don't listen. We are missing. So you, you may ask why you're not as peaceful as you need to be because the peace is found in the closet. It's not found necessarily in the rat race. It will take you through the rat race, but it's found in the closet, in our desert space. And you know what I've learned in that desert space? That I have to get a word from the Lord and if I don't receive a word from the Lord, I really have nothing worthwhile to say to you. Mm -hmm. If the Lord hadn't given me something to tell you, what I have to say is not worthwhile. So I have to make sure that I, that I get in solitude and commune with him so that he can give me the word to pass on to you today. And he's given me a word. Thank God there is a word from the Lord today. Thank God there's a word. We don't have to feel around in the dark about it. It's just as plain as the nose on our faces. And today, I want to take us to a place that we probably don't like to go. 
And you know, there are a lot of places in the scriptures where we don't like to go. You know, we, 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 you know, we, we make our way around those places to get to the places that we like. And generally the places that we like are the places that don't convict us. A place where we can read about somebody else's problems and feel sorry for them. But what about the passages that apply to you? One of those is in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Lord help. <laughs> For with the same judgment you use to judge others, the Lord is going to use that judgment to judge you. Which is simply said, you hard on other folk, God going to be hard on you. But if you stay out of other folks' Kool-Aid, then God won't have to get in your Kool-Aid. But he'll judge us with the same intensity that we apply to other folks. So let me get on. That leads us to where we need to be this morning. Because you see, the book of Colossians especially in chapter 3 today, opens up to us one of the, what we call one another passages in the scriptures. Because there are a lot of things the Lord has to teach us. And many of those things have to do with dispelling notions that we brought with us to him. Notions, assumptions that we brought with us when we met Jesus. And I believe that it just stands to reason today that we all at times have come to the Lord having discovered in our lives some unrealistic expectations we had. Some of us came to the Lord with these unexpected kind of unrealistic expectations about what to expect in Christ Jesus. And we've all learned by now that expectations don't make things true or inevitable. They are simply your expectations. The higher your expectations, the longer way you have to fall when they are dispelled. Mm -hmm. If you think you are above sin, the fall to the ground is awfully long. The higher you put yourself on a pedestal, the longer the fall when you discover that you ain't all that in a bag of chips for real. So, so, so sometimes we bring with us faulty assumptions such as God is too loving to send us to hell. See, that's a faulty assumption. That one church can't hold all Christians. That's a faulty assumption. That God doesn't care about the church you attend as long as your heart is right. That's a faulty assumption. And those are assumptions that will get you in trouble. That there are good people in all churches who will be saved. That's a faulty assumption. This is not going to be our way at the end of the day. 
This thing is going to work exactly the way the Lord offers it. And, and, and the thing that I want to say this morning that we come with unrealistic expectations about is this final one. And that has to do with how do we deal with each other in times of disagreement? We got to talk about some disagreements. Because we living in the land of disagreements today. I want you to understand this. Often the times reveal challenges that we could not have anticipated. I think we're living in that kind of time right now. We're dealing with some things now that none of us could have anticipated. Especially when we became members of the body of Christ we didn't have the vision to look that far down the road to see that a time would come when we would have to deal with some things that we possibly never had to deal with. And yet those times are upon us and we have to deal with those things. So what are we going to do? Let's, let's talk about what's on, the, what's on the burner right now. See, because I like to talk about what's going on, not what we think is happening what, what's going to happen in the future? What happened last week? We already know that. We want to deal with what's happening right now, today. The world can teach us as the church many things. Many things. And God continues to show us things that are right before us, but that we often miss. Now, as it concerns the obstinance, and that's what we're experiencing now, obstinance and stiff-neckedness. I hope that's a word, because I made you one. The stiff-neckedness of the world's division on the matter of mass and vaccination. I know you didn't think I was going there, did you? I'm already there now. Here's what I want to ask. Wouldn't it be great to see that kind of obstinance in our commitment to follow Christ? Let's talk about what obstinance is for a minute. Obstinance is defined as stubbornness. Unyielding stubborn adherence to one's purpose or opinion as a disease, Lord help. Stubborn persistence, the resistance to cure. Can you see our world in that? Resistance to relief. Resistance to treatment, just like a disease. How different, I wonder, would the world be if Christians all over the world stood up with that same kind of obstinance, that same kind of unyielding stubbornness, and say, 
to the world, we're not bulging. You don't hear it. We don't care what y'all do, we're not bulging from the cross. That kind of obstinance is what we need to have as Christians. I don't care what you say, we are not going to turn away from the cross. We are not going to abandon our faith in God. No matter what happens, as the old folk used to say, come hell or high water. We will not betray our Lord. We can learn something from the obstinance of the world regarding mass and vaccinations for ourselves. God is forever teaching us. And sometimes it's right in our faces and we miss it. Don't get so busy getting mad with folk in the world that you miss the lesson for you of what they're doing. There is something to be learned from the souls of the world. Those who persecute unyieldingly, stubbornly, the people of God. There's something to be learned from that. And that's why God called Saul because he needed him to use that same obstinance, that unyielding stubbornness. Oh, some of you shaking there. You know something about stubborn. Now, don't, don't have us talk to your husband and wives about stubborn. Now, sitting there like you don't know what I'm talking about. Unyielding stubbornness. When you say, I got my mind made up and I cannot be changed. Don't confuse me with the truth. My mind is already made up. How different would the, would the world be if we had that kind of obstinance in the church? You see, because we're living in times that have the potential of dividing the church of our Lord as much as the world is divided. Believing certain things today identifies you as an enemy of the people on both sides of the aisle. And therefore, we become the target for cancellation in this cancel culture. You disagree with me, I cancel you out. You don't agree with what I think is right, I'll cancel you. That's what that means. Say the wrong thing and see if I won't cancel you. I block your number in my cell phone. I'll take you off my friends list if you don't talk the way I think you ought to talk and think the way I think you ought to think. I'm getting there. Hold on. People are choosing sides in opposition to and in spite of the truth that is being revealed daily about the seriousness of our present situation. You've heard of being tried by fire? Well, we are being tried by virus. Tried by virus. And as the sides harden more in their positions, even
even choosing some of them to put their children at risk. Satan is having a field day. Having a field day. Now, I hope you know by now where I'm going. How are we going to deal with folk in the church who feel differently than we do about that? Boy, I've heard some conversations. I've heard how we start characterizing each other. It's no longer just a disagreement. It's a disagreement with somebody who's ignorant. It's no longer just a disagreement. It's a disagreement with somebody who's stupid. I mean, how do you see all this stuff going on and you can still say, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that? How come you're not thinking about other folk? Well, you can disagree with somebody, but don't start characterizing people. Fools. That's what some folks say. I don't know what these fools thinking about. You know what? Whenever you criticize folk like that, when you go to the Lord in prayer, I believe he mocks us and says the same thing to us that we said about other folk. Lord, how come they don't use common sense? Lord said, how come you don't use common sense? How come they can't see things my way? The Lord said, how come you can't see things my way? So for every question you got for those who disagree with you, the Lord has the same question for you. The only thing is he doesn't characterize us. He doesn't call us low down and stupid and can't see the forest for the trees and, and, and ignorance. And, and they act like this. They who? They think like this. They, they who? Nothing today speaks louder that people have stopped caring about other people than our present situation. We just don't care no more. Some are brutally independent, even to the point of suicide. There are people dying who are saying, I don't care, I wouldn't get the virus again, I wouldn't get the vaccination even if I didn't have it. Yeah, that's one of those times when you're prone to say, fool. How ignorant can you be? How carefree can you be about the lives of other folk? These are times, folks, where people are claiming the right to die like fools. And we gotta let them claim that right. Because there ain't nothing you can do about it. I read something the other day that reminded me of an age old thought that you can't make nobody do nothing they don't wanna do. People don't change because you dissatisfied with them. People change when they see a need. When something happens in their lives that brings them to the point of saying, then you won't have to tell them to change. They will tell you that they've changed. These are times that wear your patience thin. Don't be sitting on your perch now thinking that, well, you know, all this stuff affecting all these other folks, I don't worry about it. 
I don't worry about it. I don't care. Well, if you wearing a mask when you go out and if you've been vaccinated, you worrying about it. You concerned enough to do what you need to do. But there are folk who want to appear like nothing bothers them. You know, I just kind of ease on through here and keep my low profile. There's some things that will reach down to your low profile and upset you. And we're living in those times right now. These are times that will wear your patience thin with your brothers and sisters. Times that will try your tolerance for other people. Times that will divide households and even the church if we're not careful. It'll tip right on in here. And you know, I know that it is inevitable that we have some people here who are on both sides of this question. I, I, we don't need to know who you are and you don't need to know who we are, whatever side that is. We just need to understand that as, pe as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, we can't avoid this because we Christians. We can't say, well, we, we, we don't even care about that because after all, we Christians. The thing I, I, I don't understand is of all the things in the world that could divide us, we choose mass and vaccination. If it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. But ain't nothing funny about this. But as Christians, we got to look at this. It seems that disagreements serve a purpose in that they reveal how we really feel when people disagree with us. I want you to go back there to the last disagreement you had with somebody. Won't that tell on you? Won't that tell on you? I, I know it tells on me. Because you see, when, when you start talking crazy to me, I'm the one who, who picks this up and this up and says, I'm going to holler at you. That's what I do when folks start talking what I don't believe. I'm not going to sit there and argue with you because it's your right to believe what you believe. But your freedom ends where my nose begins. And I mean that literally today. Where my covered nose begins is where your freedom ends. I'm just talking real talk now. You know, the kids say keep it 100. I'm just trying to keep it 100 today. Because you need to have some sense along the way of this Christian journey. Because some folks traveling with you don't think like you think. And if you sit down and talk with them a little while, they'll show you. I don't know which side you're on, but I want to talk about our responsibility to each other as Christians. I'm almost there, and I think I got about 10 minutes left. You know, disagreements are not unusual to the Lord's church. They're not uncommon. 
the Lord's church. Ever since the Lord's church has been in existence, there have been disagreements between members and churches. And you only need to just kind of peruse the New Testament for a little while and you'll see that there are many instances where the children of God had some things they had to deal with and work out. So the question today is how do you handle disagreements about things that you are passionate about? We're not talking about stuff you don't care nothing about. We're talking about something that involves your life. How do we handle disagreements with something that has to do with my livelihood, my life? How do I deal with you if you're doing something to put my life in jeopardy, or I you? How do we do You don't just sweep that under the rug. You may sweep it under the rug here, but I guarantee you go home and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. People have reacted to truth this way for as long as I can remember, and any of us can remember. But we're going to eventually have to deal with how we handle differences of opinion on matters that are so divisive. So what we have to do is go to the scriptures to provide us some insight. Now, as we, as we know, the virus has in no way affected what we believe. The virus doesn't have anything to do with what we believe and what we were taught to believe before the virus came along. But they do provide us, the scriptures provide us with some insight. Even though our belief has not been affected by the virus, it has forced us to consider some different ways to express what we believe. Because you disagree with somebody doesn't give you the right to just dog them out. There's a way to disagree agreeably. And if anybody ought to be able to do that, we ought to be able to do it. We ought to be able to do it. So how do we respond to those who support the anti-vaccine side of this disagreement? Or the pro-vaccine side is important especially if they are fellow brothers and sisters. So this time has provided us an opportunity to try on what real meaningful disagreement looks like in real time. How we respond to those who provide these problems and challenges for us will make all the difference in the world. This is not something we can do alone, folks. We, know, we need the Holy Spirit to assist us and to guide us through this. Amen. See, there's just something. When you decide and when I decide that we can't handle something, that's evidence that it's God's job. Amen. If it's too heavy for you, put it down. That's evidence it's not for you. That's God's job. Let him do what he does. And this is one of those areas where this is God's job. But I want you to understand today that disagreements amongst God's people are not unusual. There are plenty of disagreements in the scripture. The disagreement the church had at Corinth regarding eating meat offered to idols threatened the unity of the Lord's church. 
and the, the disagreement between members of the church regarding circumcision plagued the church at Rome in Romans 2, 25 through 29. And just as eating things strangled, strengthened the unity of several churches of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, in Acts 15, 20 through 2 through 29, what we're experiencing now has that same potential unless we follow the solutions of each one of those accounts. Paul and Barnabas had a serious disagreement, Acts 15. The disciples had a disagreement among themselves as to who would be greatest among them in Luke 9. Paul and Peter had a disagreement. How did they resolve it in Galatians 2, 11 through 13? Taking one another to court. In Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. How did they deal with it? How communion was to be observed in 1 Corinthians 11. There were differences of opinion. Some folk thought it was a regular meal. So they brought their own little wine flask and their own little roll and they would sit and observe the Lord's death and resurrection by eating their own meal while other folk were hungry. They had a serious disagreement going on. Paul said, you know, I found the law in Romans 7, 21 that when I would do good, evil is always present with me. So, in this last few minutes, let me tell you what it is. See, I have to get the stuff out of the way first that you don't want to hear. And then come to the other stuff you don't want to hear. Now we're to the second level of stuff you really don't want to hear. I know how we work. I know what I like here. And I think we are more alike than we are different. So I make the assumption that what affects me affects you. What I'm going through, you're going through it too. Let me change that. What you're going through, I'm going through it too. You know, because y'all think we exempt. I have to make some hard decisions about how I'm going to deal with folk I know who want to put my life at risk. But you know what? As a Christian, I really, as a, as a human being, I want to slap. Just tell you the God's honest truth. There's some people whose necks I'd like to squeeze because they don't care about my life. But as a Christian, Lord took that off the table for me. Even for a little while. You know, those of you who convinced yourselves that it's all right to lay down your religion for a little while <laughs> and then pick it back up in five or seven minutes when we've satisfied our conscience because we've told somebody how we feel about it. But these are the times that will make you tell somebody how you feel about it. And that's why we don't get together and talk too much, you know, because we don't want to have to cuss each other out. <laughs> so we just stay away from each other. So, you know, you stay over there and I, we don't want to have any serious conversation. We don't want to have any hard conversation because we're afraid of what we'll say to somebody. Because many times we don't want to admit that we're just 
intolerant of anybody who thinks differently than we do. Some folk can't even teach folk who are out of the body because they're too busy being mad with them because they don't already see them. It's so clear, how can you miss it? And then we get mad with them because they can't see it. Well, you know what? There was a time when you couldn't see it. What about then? Did somebody have to be patient with you? Well, then you ought to learn patience with other folk. But here's what, here's what Paul tells the, the, the Colossians to do. He says, now, if we're going to make this thing work, we got to first understand that it is Christianity, it is Christ who broke down all the barriers between me. That's why a lot of the scripture is based on how we, it, it teaches us how to deal with each other. Oh, it teaches us how to deal with God too, but it teaches us how to deal with each other. How to love each other through trying times. And one of the things that Paul starts with is he said you must have a heart of pity. Christianity brought mercy into the world. It was Christianity that introduced the whole idea of mercy. Because before that time, there was no mercy. Folk didn't like each other. <coughs> Greeks didn't like folk. They thought they were the smartest folk in the world. Jews didn't like folk because they knew we are the children of God, we are the chosen, and everybody else is fuel for hell's fire. That was the feeling before Christianity ushered in. But the Lord came and taught us that even when we don't disagree or when we don't agree with each other, there is still a place for mercy. Mercy. Who, who died and left you in charge? That you feel like you deserve all the mercy and everybody else deserves judgment. Who died and left you here? And then there's kindness. Kindness is, is a wonderful word, and it is defined as the virtue of the man whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. Can you hear the solution in there to the problem we're having? Sometimes, folks, oh, it's just a matter of being kind. Don't try to change me, and I'm not going to try to change you. But in your talking, be kind. Consider me your weaker brother, and I'll consider you mine. Because the scripture says those who are strong are to bear with the infirmities of the weak. And not to please themselves. So we got to find a way in the midst of this COVID foolishness to be kind to each other. And to be merciful to each other. How are you going to deal with somebody who told you, who tells you they voted for somebody that you think is Satan in the flesh? How you going to deal with that? That's one of those times we do this, ain't when we get with our white brothers and sisters and somebody says, yeah, I voted for him, how you deal with that? 
Some folks just say, I don't want to hear it. And you know what? When you don't want to hear it, it's a sign you don't want to do what you need to do as a Christian. You know, that sounds just like folk who say to us, I don't see black when I see you. Well, why not? The first thing you know about me when you meet me is that I'm black. Why are you trying to take that away from me? Well, it's because if you see me as black, you will have a problem with me. Now, let me translate that over here. We don't want to talk to each other seriously because if somebody says something we can't tolerate, Lord, help. Lord, help. We're we, we, we going to go out behind the building. And some of us will let you know quickly we'll do something to you. And at the same time, quote Jesus. You know, the Bible says something is wrong with the mouth where curses and blessings come out of the same mouth. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Blessings and curses out of the same mouth. Well, I tell you what, the Lord says we need to be forbearing and forgiving. We need to be patient. Patient is the spirit which never loses its patience with his fellow man. That sounds, that sounds like a, a tall order, doesn't it? You know how easy it is to lose our patience? with people when they don't think like we think. Well, here's what I want you to do today. Go home and first and foremost, the solution to the problem is always to look at yourself. That's always the solution. Look at you. Look at you. Let's, we all in the same boat, but nobody's better off because the boat has a hole in it on your side. And there are people who will make you think that even though we're in the same boat, the hole is on your side, so you fix it. That's the way a lot of us think right about now. We ain't got nothing to be fixed. They got the problems. Lord help. You just don't see how much we need what we're going through. Blind to what we, they got the problems. Let them do this. Let them do that. What about you? You're talking from a perch now. Let me remind you that the Bible says, He let him who think he stand take heed lest he fall. The very time you think you can't fall is the time when you're most prone to fall. So you keep sitting in your little ivory tower until somebody comes to rescue you when the rescue plan is already being laid out. This is part of the rescue plan this morning. Practice some humility and some patience. Learn how to say, I don't know. Learn how to say, I don't know, rather than I don't care. I want to know so that I can better appreciate you and you mean. Whoever said you can't appreciate a person's position in life until you are in their shoes knew what they were talking about. 
So for God's sake, let us not be so quick to criticize before we walk in somebody else's situation. That's the basis of compassion. In order for us to be compassionate, we have to be able to put ourselves in the position of the person who needs help. So if you think those who are pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine need help, then do what you need to do to talk to them. But look, when you leave, realize that everybody has a right to feel any way they want to feel and to do anything they want to do, including you. It's not everybody else's responsibility to cater to me any more than it is my responsibility to cater to you. I'm just trying to say, in these ensuing months, see, because it's becoming clear to us that people not going back. People not closing up. This thing can spiral as much as they want it to spiral. It can get totally out of control as it is right now. And people are saying, hey, we're not going back. We're not shutting down. So if we're going to keep meeting like this, if you keep liking it, keep wearing your mask. Don't come to the door with any questions about why I got to be have my temperature checked. Because it's good for you and it's good for us. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't take but a second. If you can't stop for that, what's wrong with you? You need to have your spiritual temperature checked. You know, your physical may be all right, but your spiritual may be through the roof or it's in the basement. It's not a spiritual 98.6. I'm going to sit down now. I got no carried away. Y'all pray for me and forgive me. Be patient with me. Be humble with me. Be kind to me, be forbearing with me, be long-suffering with me. And according to the scriptures, I have the responsibility of being the same to you. That's the message of today. I hope you found something in it for you. And if so, you need to come up here today and take God's hand, or God's, my hand, and give God your heart. You know, because the Lord offers us rest, but he offers work first. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye who labor. See, he doesn't talk about giving you rest first. And the worst thing you can do is try to rest when you're not tired. You ever tried that one? Jesus says, come unto me because my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. But he prefaces that by saying, only those of you who are laboring, come unto me. And I'll show you what real rest looks like. If you're here this morning and you want that rest, keep your faith intact. Be repentant of the things that we do on a regular basis that we refuse to repent of. Mm -hmm. Confession. Keep that before you as we deal with each other during these trying times in the desert. Anybody in the audience today who doesn't know Jesus, you're not even in the game yet. Nothing of what I said makes any difference to you if you're not in Christ Jesus. 
So you need to come today and add him to your life by being baptized in the watery grave of baptism for the remission of your sins. And the scripture says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to stand right now. We give you the opportunity to respond in any way that you may deem to respond. I have faith in you, Lord. I